0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to
1: emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something.
0: Hey, listeners, and welcome to Feelin' Film. I'm Patch, and with me, as always, is my best friend and co host, Aaron. Hello. This week, we wanted to fill in an Oscar blind spot from last year that we didn't get a chance to cover while it was in theaters. Spike Lee's Black Klansman, based on the memoir of the same name, brings with it humor, drama, action, and hopefully a great conversation. So from here on out, this is a spoilerific episode, as all of our episodes are. So feel free to come back and enjoy the conversation once you've seen what we consider a pretty great movie, uh, unless you are just dying to be spoiled. So whatever. All right, you've been warned. Let's move into one-word takeaways. Aaron, why don't you start us off?
1: Yeah, so this is my second viewing of Black Klansman. I saw it for the first time in the theater when it released, and I was so-so on it. It was such a very different kind of experience than I think I was going into it expecting. I haven't seen a whole lot of Spike Lee films, and I had not seen Do the Right Thing specifically at this point, so I don't know that I was quite aware of the tone that spike could use. So for me, after this second viewing, I think that what has stood out the most was the word persistent. Um, I find it to be a mostly enjoyable film to watch. Like I enjoy it. It is full of jokes and uncomfortable humor that's playing off of these racist ideas. But the most powerful gut punch for me is what I ultimately take away as a huge lesson. And that's just how well the film shows the persistence of racist thought throughout time. It uses this old footage and current events also to create this great effect at various points in the movie. And it really hammers home the various ways in which racism and hatred have presented themselves. It honestly reminded me of rewatching Captain America Winter Soldier recently. <laughs> and I know that sounds like a strange comparison, But I was thinking about how HYDRA infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. to spread their ideals secretly. And it's very similar to what the KKK did. When cross burnings and public street killings became too obvious and were no longer accepted in the eyes of the public, the KKK gains power elsewhere – in police departments, in government organizations like NASA, in politics – uh And it, it's it's able to persistently spread this ideology much easier because of that. And there's a lot more to this, of course, but just as a quick first take from me, this is what I keep thinking about because for so long I've personally associated the word racism with very vocal and outward acts of hate and violence when in reality its existence and its ability to persist over centuries I think is so much more subtle than that and Black Klansmen really – shows that in full effect.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think that it does show that subtlety. But in contrast to your word, my word was hate. And it was fueled by almost the exact opposite of what you came away with. As I've worked through the number of race-centric movies over the last week, finishing up with Black Klansman, I don't know that there's a better expression of hate from two warring camps, as Spike Lee's latest film shows, between this representation of Patrice in the Black Student Union and uh, Felix Kendrickson representing the extreme voice of the KKK. If there could be a non-extreme voice of the KKK, I don't know if that's that's even possible. But I think Lee captures in many instances necessary ways that two groups have to approach the other, and it comes out in such a visceral way, oftentimes. This is the picture we get when it comes to race relations in the United States. And whether or not it's a way or the way to fight the problem, I think Black Klansmen captures perfectly from a cinematic perspective that kind of fueled hate that exists on both sides of the argument or whatever you want to call it. And I didn't expect that necessarily. Obviously there's some bias here and there, but there's a lot of rage. There's a lot of energy that we see that I feel like is a little bit not objective, but balanced when it comes to the energy level here. And I agree, Aaron. I think that the fact is that persistence that you talk about exists in this time period. But at the same time, you also have these extreme versions of racism that I think Spike Lee is very good at portraying. And it's one of the reasons that I kind of give or take my relationship with his films, much like I do with Quentin Tarantino. I can kind of maybe watch them once and be okay with. But I remember you talking about this when you'd seen the screening back and back last year. And I think both of us kind of agreed this is a more mature Spike Lee. This is a less angry, although still passionate.
1: I, I I think it's not less angry. It's 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 more it's very angry. I think it's more controlled. Okay, maybe that was
0: it. So I'd need to go back and listen to what I actually say, but I really, I feel like this is a more mature filmmaking Spike Lee, but one who doesn't lose the passion that he's had ever since do the right thing.
1: Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, there's a way that he can go about this that completely turns people off because it's, it borders on being too angry. It borders on just saying, I'm going to just show you the worst of everybody and every human being, mm-hmm. and yeah. you're not going to enjoy it. And he does find that balance here. So I, I agree. Yeah. With you. I think it's a great, great takeaway for you.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get into the full cam- uh, the full gamut of our conversation, Collis Davis, one of our active face group members, dropped in via voicemail and left a stellar review of his take on Black Klansmen. So take a listen.
2: Hello, guys. It's Collis Davis. Just wanted to tell you, you know, a few of my thoughts on Black Clansmen. Why it's my favorite film of last year and why I think it's one of the best films um, made this decade. One thing coming in that I was already uh, familiar with was the story of the film. I had read the book, you know, I went to the library, checked it out and everything, and I found it to be a very compelling story. Black man infiltrating the Klan and just getting to, like, know the ins and outs. The story sounds like a comedy piece. You know, it sounds like something that would be in the Key Appeal episode or something on the Chappelle show. So, you know, actually something like this happening, it shocked me and surprised me that the story wasn't more well-known, you know. And I, then I realized that the guy, Ron Stallworth, who actually worked on the case, is all his, you know, the captain and everything, wanted him to get rid of the files and everything. He tore all the evidence that the case ever happened, you know. So I'm glad he kept these files because this was a story that definitely needed to be told. So going into the film, I was excited Spike Lee. Um, was directing it. he's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. And one thing about Spike is that he never tends to sugarcoat anything. He will definitely put it up in your face, front and center, about the issues that, you know, African-Americans and f- that the country is going through right now, especially when it comes to race relations. If you've seen Do the Right Thing, you've seen Michael Max, any of those films, you know, then you know that he doesn't sugarcoat anything when it comes to racism. And this film is no different. I love the performances. John David Washington, Adam Driver, they both were amazing. You know, I really wanted Adam Driver to get a surprise sneak Oscar win for his performance. He didn't, of course, because of Maharshila Ali, but he was definitely my favorite performance of the film. You know, the way that he was able to internalize the, sh- the struggle, being a Jewish man and having to, like, hear all of this hate language directed towards Jews. You know, working as an undercover in the Klan, you know, it had to be hard for him to be in that position. And I think there's one excellent scene between him and John David Washington where he talks about that, hey, I never thought about being a Jewish man. You know, I never thought about things like that until doing this assignment. And I realized, like, wow, these guys, they are cool with me now. They're, they're friends with me. But they knew that I was a Jew and that, like, I had to star David wearing around my neck then they will want to kill me you know they will want to hate me and very powerful scene as far as the filmmaking aspect spike is at his a-game in this um i love the cinematography i love the editing i especially love the shots and where he would have the silhouettes uh, i think it was during the speech during the early part of the movie where there's a speech with a famous activist who was a part of the black panther party and you know This speech scene is just amazing. You know, it went on longer than I expected, but I like that it did. You know, it was a very inspiring, very heart-pumping speech. I love the silhouettes he did, showing the different black faces in the crowd. You know, just showing how they're, like, looking up to this man speaking and how they're being inspired by his words. And he's telling people just, hey, black is beautiful. You know, be happy that you are black. You know, don't let nobody make you think that you're inferior just from being black i love that i love the scenes where especially the dance scene where they're showing black people just having a good time that's been a trademark of spike sims you know for all the the hard heart-wrenching things he talks about in the films, he always has to put in the scene where, you know, he see it where it shows black people having a lot of fun and just, just being in a celebratory mood. And I love that he does that, you know, because that's what it really is about. You know, black people in real life don't just go through struggle. We also like to have fun. You know, we're just like everybody else. So I love that he did that. Garrett Blanchard's um, work on the score is phenomenal. I find myself humming that score like almost like every day because it's just, it's a funky, Spongy little score, you know, I love the little guitars in there, and it's also, um a sad score too, you know, when it's used in certain scenes. So he definitely did his job with that score. Kinda of what she would have won, but hey, Black Panther was the rightful winner the best original score this year, so I have no problems with that. The script was great, you know, they did, they took a little leeway with the story, you know, they added in some things for dramatic effect, but I didn't have a problem with that. You know, they, kept the generalized, you know, idea of the story, you know, about this black guy infiltrating the Klan. So I felt that they did right by the story, and it was definitely a deserving winner for Best Adapted Screenplay. One thing I also liked is that at the end, when we have the scene where Spike is showing you scenes from the Charlottesville incident in 2017, pretty much what he's showing you is that, hey, we still have a big problem. Hey, this film was set in the 1970s and everything, But, hey, we still have not solved this racism problem. It was tough watching it. I remember when I was in the theater watching that scene, and honestly, the whole crowd was silent Like, no words, no noise at all. It was like you could hear a pin drop. It was tough to watch. The surreal thing about it is that the same ideas, same ignorant ideas that are propagated in the film by the Klan members, you know, other racist people and black Klan in the film, they're the same ideas that are still being seen today, and You know, we still have this hate and ignorance in our society, and, you know, it led to someone getting killed during Charlottesville. It led to a a young um, woman losing her life, and it was sad to watch, and it shows that we still have a long ways to go. So, hey, it's great that Spike didn't let us off easy. He wanted to let the crowd know that, hey, we still have hate, still have this problem in our society, and we need to do what we can to fix it. We need to wake up, as he would say, and start by fixing this and everything. So I love that. As far as this film's place in history, I think it's going to be on the right side of history when we look back on it years from now. We'll look back on it and we'll see that Spike really did try to make an impact and he really did make an impact with this film. You know, like I said, after I left the theater and watched it, I drove home in silence almost. It felt, it felt like, to me, I wanted to cry because of how real it was and how how much it like went towards the core of my internal but just how true it was with everything that was being said in the movie. You know, there was some hilarious moments, I'm not going to lie. There are some good comedy moments and everything, but the film doesn't lose a sense of balance between that. You know, it doesn't turn into a campy film. It doesn't turn into a film trying to make fun, to make light of the whole thing. It's serious the whole time. So for me, Black Klansman was my favorite film of last year and it's going to honestly end up in my top ten for the decade. Um, Also, one last bit. The scene that shows the contrast between Harry Belafonte's appearance at the Black Student Union meeting and the Ku Klux Klan initiation is one of probably the best scene of last year. I have one scene where Harry Belafonte's telling a real story about a lynching that really happened in history. You know, he's telling a story about that, but on the other scene, we have the Ku Klux Klan telling this fake story about how they're being like persecuted, how, you know, the white race is being extinct, how people are being racist against them. He's telling them this you know, while Hedda is telling, like, a true story. I love the contrast between them. I think the editing was great. It makes you sad. It makes you pissed off, especially when they showed the Birth of a Nation film at this initiated meeting. It is still a shock to me that the Birth of a Nation is still recognized as an influential film. It's in the Library of Congress. It's in the National Film Registry. But it's a, it's a film that, helped to spark the second coming of the Ku Klux Klan after they had died out in the early um, 1900s. This movie, this film helped spark a revival of it. And for them to show that that film within the movie, it, it really made me angry and it made me sad. It made me hurt because this is what is used as a training tool for people who want to be a part of the Klan. Also, the beginning was brilliant, too. forgot to mention that. The beginning was brilliant as well, you know, showing... Gone with the Wind, pulling back that crane shot, because Gone with the Wind is recognized as one of the greatest films ever made, you know, and it pulls back that crane shot and it shows the Confederate flag, which is used now for most white supremacists to show that, hey, they believe in going back to the Old South, you know, when the Confederates fighting for slavery, you know, um, believing that black people were inferior, believing that the uh, white supremacy was what was needed run the country. Like I said, Spike did his thing with this film, man. You know, it's very impressive. I don't have to say this ranks among my top five for Spike. I would still say Do the Right Thing is the best thing he's ever done, and I don't know if he'll be able to ever top that. But this film comes in in top five for Spike. It's an amazing film, and if you haven't seen it already, I would suggest Go Out and get it right now. It's well worth your time, and it's a very important film. I think a lot of people need to see it. A lot of people need to see it. I mean, even including if people have those beliefs, they still need to see this film. They need to to see how this ignorance, this hate only leads to a divide. It's how it doesn't need to be this way. We need to all be together. We need to treat one another like we're humans.
1: Yes, thank you very much, Collis. We appreciate you giving us your thoughts on this. When I heard that this was his favorite film of the year, I knew that I wanted to get his voice on here just to have this perspective from him. And Callis is someone who's a local friend of mine. He's been able to attend some press screenings with me and is doing more and more of that. And so uh, if you haven't check him out on letterbox, his reviews are really fantastic. And when I read his on black Klansman, I, I also just thought, you know, this was someone who's kind of perspective. I would love for our listeners to hear. I, I got to tell you, Patrick, I really, what I took away from that and what I was thankful for was Kylus is a openness about on his drive home and how he reacted to this film and just telling us what it's like to experience that I and you will never know what that is. We can empathize. We can assume we can, you know, project what maybe it might kind of feel like to watch a movie that depicted racism in a way that we'd experienced ourselves and relate to that, but we can't. And so I think it's really, Really vulnerable of him to tell us that you know it required him to drive home in silence, angry and sad, wanting to cry and scream all at the same time. Because I I can I can see how this film would do that to a person. Um, And it sounds like he came out of it, you know, on the on the better side, right? Like on a positive note. And so that's pretty awesome and a a, a big, I guess you'd say, praise for this film overall.
0: Yeah, and for guys like you and me, a couple of white guys talking about movies, I think this fits in somewhat well to our conversation we had in our bonus content last week with uh, for, our, for our patrons, and actually for everybody who's getting a chance to hopefully take a listen to that and get our perspective on how movies have helped us understand the Black perspective more. I, I really think Black Klansman, the more I've thought about it, And as I've kind of watched through it a little bit more to get some more notes for the conversation, the more I enjoy it, and I use the word enjoy very specifically in that it's incredibly informative, entertaining, and educational, but it is also very provocative in that it helps me understand and respond, not necessarily react. And I want to get into that in a little bit on what Spike Lee is doing. There are three questions that I really want this conversation to stem from. And the first is how does this film work for you as entertainment? And More specifically, how does Spike Lee use humor and drama either really well or not so well in the film from your perspective?
1: Well, this is part of where the film got better for me on the second viewing. When I came out of it the first time, shocked by the ending which we'll talk about, I was left with that. Like that's what I remembered. Was the gut punch, the feeling of, oh my gosh, all of this movie I just watched and it was two over two and a hours, you know, two 2:15-ish 2. and all I do is feel like nothing in the world has changed. It's very depressing. Yeah. yeah. This time knowing that that was coming, I wasn't left hanging on that as much, and so I do think I was able to enjoy it more in that word, the same way that you're explaining the use of the word. There's so much humor in this, and there are so many moments that I I literally laughed my butt off, right? Like, a couple scenes that stood out to me. One is near the beginning of Ron's conversations with David Duke with the chapter, and Flip just kind of turns around his you know chair and says, did I – here you just use your real name. And Ron's <laughs> like, Oh mother. F-. Like he realizes, Oh crap. Like I did. And it's hilarious, you know, because like the whole thing could have been brought down by him being discovered because of using his real name, but because of, he was not really taking it that seriously. And it just, it's a very humorous scene. One of the other favorite ones for me in particular is the guys, meaning flip, Jimmy, who looks just like his brother, uh, Steve Buscemi's brother, Michael. Oh, gosh. I, I actually thought it was him for like half the movie the first time I watched it. But anyway, Flip, Jimmy, and Ron are going over the info, getting Flip prepped for his first voyage out to beat the KKK. And they're having so much fun. And Flip is trying to get him to be black. He's like, he's like you've always wanted to be black. This is your chance. Here's your <laughs> opportunity. you got to say it just <laughs> like me. And then at the end, he's like, Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And then all three of them. And you can just feel the joy over their faces. And so it's funny. It's uplifting. It's sweet. It actually reminded me a lot of of Black Lives Matters rallies with white folks and black folks and people mm-hmm. of all kinds of color who are chanting these things. That's what it reminded me of. And so there's definitely a good amount of laughs in here. There are also some laughs that I don't think worked as well for me, probably because I'm not the target audience <laughs> for them. I will point out the montage specifically of old '70s um, black exploitation films, and there's like this this whole like moment between Ron and and uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, <laughs> do you remember her name, Patrice? Yeah, Patrice. And Patrice. When they're, like, going on this nice little walk, having their date, and they're talking about Pam Greer and all these old people. So the 70s is, like, maybe maybe my least favorite time period for movies to be set in. So I have to overcome that as a blockade, like, right away when we're dealing with films set in this, right. this era. And so that part just didn't connect with me, and I didn't find it particularly as funny as maybe mo- some people might have. Just because it's not something that I related to at all.
0: Yeah, I... I... I would have to agree. One of my favorite scenes is the prep scene, where they're practicing and quoting, and I guess it Sha- was it Shakespeare. I don't know what they were quoting, but it was just phenomenal to see these three individuals kind of rise above their blackness and whiteness for the sake of the the investigation. And I, I love the camaraderie. I think it's fantastic to show that. I don't know if it's representative of a police department that we're policemen, we're officers, and we don't care about race. I don't think that's necessarily the the case or what Spike Lee was trying to say. But I loved having that as kind of a precursor to getting Ron and Flip's relationship solidified. Because they were going to become one person and they were going to have to walk in step with each other. Metaphorically speaking and literally speaking, sometimes, and having a, having the kind of humor that Spike Lee puts into Black Klansman, and I haven't seen Do the Right Thing. It's on my list to watch next. I've been kind of on a binge of, I guess you can call it race related movies. I I mentioned to you that last night I watched Black Klansman and then I rewatched Get Out, and then I started watching Straight Outta Compton, but I fell asleep. That's going to be one that I finished. So I'm kind of getting this. The Black Experience kind of overload for for a little bit, which I'm fine with because these are these are great movies. But I, I look at Black Klansmen and I think what Spike Lee does well is that balance of humor and drama, humor and satire, whatever you're gonna call it, makes a movie like this more accessible because it could be incredibly offensive. And I think a guy like Quentin Tarantino sets out not intentionally to do that, but I don't think he apologizes for it either when he puts stuff on screen. That makes you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. Whereas I think Spike Lee is unapologetic, but I think he's incredibly creative in the way in which he presents stuff on screen. And I remember watching him at the Oscars and how he responded to some interviews about Green Book. And he made that really offhanded comment about, I lost to someone driving someone else across the country again, that kind of thing in referencing back to do the right thing. And even when he was talking to a couple of guys from one of the British newspapers or television stations, he goes, you guys are British, right? Well, let me just say, he was asked what he thought of green, but he goes, it wasn't my cup of tea. And so he's really, I think who he is as a person plays out in how he does this movie in particular. I can't speak for his others. I haven't seen a ton of them just like you. But I think that the humor works well because it makes the movie accessible to a lot of people, not just a black audience, not just a white audience, but he uses that humor as a way to invite people in and almost let them give them permission to laugh. And I think that there are parts of this movie that, that make fun of white culture, obviously, but I think they satirize other parts of black culture in some ways. I'd need to get more kind of con- you know, confirmation from that. But I like that. I like that it's not a – a div- it's it's divisive in its ideas but not in its entertainment value. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean it, it can be read that way. I think it's also very layered, and I think it can also be read at times as – Haha, <laughs> you're laughing at this. Why don't you stop for just a second and think about why you're laughing at this? Because right. it reminds me of a conversation I was having with our buddy Emmanuel Noisette from Eman's Movie Reviews a few days ago. And I was talking to him about how I have had friends in the past where they'll use the N-word. These are white friends, basketball fans, you know, who feel like that's kind of part of the culture. And they'll throw it around offhandedly in private – And it has increasingly made me more uncomfortable. Whereas it's something that, you know, in, for many years, a lot of people would just kind of accept. Like, oh, you're not really saying it to someone. So it's not, you're not using it in a serious, you're joking. It's like that, it's like that throwback, right? We always fall back on, oh, I was kidding. If you got your hurt, if you got your feelings hurt, then I was just joking. Otherwise, Maybe I meant it. I don't know. And I don't think a lot of people know what they mean or don't mean. And so I definitely think some of the jokes in Black Klansmen are intended to land that way, where you hear them and you start to chuckle and then you stop chuckling and you think, wait, why am I chuckling?
0: Yeah. And I think that leads into this notion of how these jokes, how these methods enhance and really empower the messages of the film, how what you mentioned that as I'm laughing at this, I'm also kind of thinking about, wow, that is true. And it reminds me a lot of the, the element of sarcasm that when you say something sarcastically, there's typically an element of truth behind it. I mean, that's what I think comedy is when you do stand up comedy, you're calling attention to something about yourself or about the world, whether you put yourself in that or not. And you're, you're, you're laughing at it because of the truth behind it. And I, I think that when you deal with race relations, there's this, real, there's this real fine line of when you're making fun of something versus when you're using that humor to make a point. And I, I think that the second layer of this that you're talking about is one of political commentary. I remember watching this and <laughs> you were really funny. I, I, I mentioned to you. I think that this movie is dogging President Trump and you go really you think <laughs> it's just is it not that obvious and it was it was during those moments where you had offhanded comments about making America great again and there were there were just these conversations that were clearly digs at 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 president Trump's campaign and 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 some of his ideologies and it was the I don't think I was Ignorant of that necessarily, but I was ignorant of that specifically. I wasn't ignorant of the social commentary and political commentary that I was going to be getting, but I didn't know that it was going to be that pointed.
1: Yeah, Sergeant Trap actually has a phenomenal monologue a point in the film where he's talking to them and he says, "You know the wealth, you know the way to sell hate, affirmative action, immigration, crime, tax reform." He, meaning David Duke, says, "No one wants to be called a bigot anymore." Because Archie Bunker made that too uncool. So the idea is under all of these issues, everyday Americans can accept it, support it, until eventually one day he gets somebody in the White House that embodies it. And that's where he's very clearly and pointedly shoving the finger at Trump yes. and everything that has taken place since Trump's you know inception as president.
0: And this is where I think the adapted screenplay Oscar deserves the win. Because of the fact that you're displacing current events into a 1970s period and still making it relevant. That was one of my close second or third connecting points right there because of that pointed nature and because of the fact that the response to that afterwards was, I can't remember who said it, but whoever it was was like, there's no way so-and-so is going to be president. You know, that's ridiculous. Which further goes to the idea that when President Trump was initially nominated or at least running, we were like, that's funny. Is this going to become an SNL sketch? Because it feels like it's going to be. And then he gets the nomination and then he gets the, he gets the win. And so this political commentary that's littered throughout the movie. What specific messages did you pull out outside of this dig at Trump that, that Spike Lee was really trying to to latch on to. Did you see anything specifically that, that he was really
1: hitting at? Well, yeah, I mean, he's, it's, it's pretty, I don't know. I think it's pretty obvious, honestly, everything that he's trying to portray in this film. He's clearly trying to tell us that these systems that are in place, Patrice even says it, you can't change things from the inside. It's a racist system. And I think that's the key here, is that everything here is a system. The film shows us in many different ways. I mean, leading off with footage from Gone with the Wind, at a different time in the film, we get to see documentary-type footage, um horrible, horrible footage during Harry Belafonte's uh, sequence um about a man that was actually lynched, and we hear the story of him. We see footage from Birth of a Nation um juxtaposed in a, a brilliant way and probably – What was my very, very close second connecting point and everything that it shows us is that there is not, people aren't just racist because they hate and because they're violent. And that's kind of what I was pointing to earlier when I was saying that I I grew up that way. Like that's how I always thought about racism. Well, the racist people are the ones that are out there actually doing the cross burnings or that are actually beating someone in the street, right? Or shooting someone who's black because they say the words, oh, you, you're a, mm, and I'm going to kill you because you're black. That was always my view of racism, but it's so much deeper than that. And this film did such a phenomenal job of like bringing that to at least me from my own perspective gain where I started to realize it's, it's something that's bred. And it happens over time. Like I had no idea that Birth of a Nation was the reason that cross burnings became a thing. Like that—that that yeah, floored yeah. me, Patrick. Like I, yeah. I was like, my jaw dropped, and I was just devastated to hear that. And so, yeah, Spike's showing us that so much. I mean, and then of course the ending of this film, going, you know, tying it into Charlottesville, as Callis mm-hmm. was was talking about there. Um, these are things that just recently happened. You know, anti-Semitism, right. the people in that rally were hating, were chanting Nazi hate speech about hating the Jews as well. So anti-Semitism mm-hmm. has gone with uh, racism for centuries. And that's something I didn't even think about really until this. So him bringing Flip into this story as a character of Jewish heritage was right. also pretty powerful. So it, I think the main message of the film albeit in various different ways it's portrayed, is really for us to look at the fact that things are still the same, even if there's a prettier dressing on the outside of it, and realize that without we can't wish it away, and whatever we've been doing has not worked.
0: It's interesting that you say whatever we've been doing has not worked. Because I was thinking about what you mentioned earlier in your one word takeaway. And one of the messages that I took from this, that Spike Lee, I believe is articulating is that racism doesn't have to look like that. It doesn't have to look like a Klan rally. It doesn't have to look like the black student union being motivated to start a revolt. Although those are obvious things. And I thought, the most interesting thing visually from a narrative standpoint was you had Ron and you had David Duke. You had these two individuals who I won't call them the protagonist and antagonist because I don't necessarily think they were, but you have these two individuals in the middle of all of this chaos and they are acting probably the most calm throughout their whole sequences. You know, Ron, I don't think ever loses his cool until that very last conversation with David Duke, where he reveals who he is. And I don't think David ever loses his cool until Ron touches him.
1: Takes a picture. Yeah,
0: (laughs) takes a picture. And so I think when we look at that and from what I've read, David Duke is a this is the kind of guy he is. He's very very well-spoken, he's very convincing, very persuasive, and he's not what you would picture the leader of the Kukuk clan to be. He represents the political side, the strategically well-spoken guy. And then you have Ron on the other side, who is playing the role of undercover investigator. And I think that what Lee, I don't know if Lee is saying this intentionally but I feel like he is giving us a sense of hope that while evil and while hate can look like it does in the form of David Duke so can a revolution. In fact, he says it later on to uh to Patrice he says don't think that just because I don't wear a black beret and sunglasses that I don't care about the fate of my people. He said I'm doing the job I am a police officer. And I think in that line, that set of lines, I really respected him as as a person and as a character because of the fact that you can be both. You can be for something that is revolutionary as giving rights to black people and at the same time live in a world where law enforcement is looked at as the enemy of black people which I think makes me want to read his autobiography. It makes me want to read this memoir to get his voice throughout this. Because one thing I've pulled away from watching all these movies is that I want to now read the biographies and the, and the memoirs. I want to read reluctantly 12 years a slave. I want to read the black Klansman. I want to read the hate you give just so I can get more of a textual understanding of, of these voices And I think that Spike Lee is really good at that. I think he's been, I think he's really good at adding that message of hate doesn't have to look like and shouldn't, you shouldn't expect it to look like what you expect it to. And so you and I had that same kind of idea growing up that racism and hate is extreme. No, it's not. It can wear a suit. (laughs) It can wear a policeman's uniform. And and that can be very dangerous. And I think Lee is giving us a word of caution to be very careful about the people
1: around you. Yeah, I agree, man. I totally do. Um, I I mean, it it, it's a great idea that you have to read the actual written biographies because you're right. It's going to be a different voice than when it's adapted, no matter what. No matter how close it is, it's going to be a different voice. And this, to me, feels like Spike Lee's voice. It doesn't necessarily – I don't know who Ron Stallworth is aside from a two-minute interview I watched of him. But – or I don't know what his voice sounds like. You know what I mean? But, like, I feel Spike Lee in the script very much. So I don't know if this is the tone that he told his story in much the same way or not. We have to assume it is very similar. One other of the messages, though, that I thought of and I wanted to make sure we, we mentioned it, is that I think that one thing Leah is also trying to convey is that hate is a festering thing. And, and it can get worse over time that, it again, it's not that – necessary. like we said, it's not something that's in your face all the time. There's a couple things that illustrated this to me. One is – at the Black Student Union, when Kwame Ture is making his speech and he starts talking about arming yourselves and guns. And Ron is talking to Patrice later and he's asked or he's talking to Kwame and he's asking him about that. And Kwame's like, Oh, you know, I just, I just say that. Like, it's not, I don't actually mean go out and shoot people. You know what I mean? Like, he, he says it in the rally because it excites people. But his actual intention is not beho- the same as the words he's using. And then we see it again. On the KKK side, I think it's um, Ivanhoe, the goofy character, who says we've talked about killing black people for so many years, and now it's finally happening. And I, I, I thought, man, goodness gracious, this is so rough. But what it highlighted for me was the supposed harmlessness of these words that can eventually build and lead to real action. Like these guys have talked about killing. But people for years, they've planned this. They've they've messed around and joked in their basements and called themselves the organization and played things off like they're, you know, there is some awful hate group that's doing all these big, bad things. They really hadn't done anything other than burn some crosses and really irritate and offend some people. But it builds and it builds and it builds to the point of this. We're going to put a bomb down like terrorism happens over time generally speaking. And I think right. that came out to me
0: and that, that plays nicely into my next question, which is how black Klansmen might work or highlight the role of political propaganda. So I remember growing up. Well, I remember being in college. I don't think I was growing up at that point. Um, but I remember being in college and taking some sociology courses or psychology courses And there were, there was a, there was a lesson that talked about subliminal messages and early in like the sixties, seventies, eighties, I can't remember when you go to a movie, you'd have these quick flashes of like popcorn or words that would say hungry that would, that would flash very quickly during certain scenes of a movie to create this motivation in you to go to the concession stand and buy popcorn. I did not need that motivation. I just love popcorn and Coke and all that stuff. So I, I found that really interesting because when I think about propaganda, which is what this movie starts out with, you got Alec Baldwin giving a, an Aryan speech about the superiority of, of white America, uh, juxtaposed against the gone with the wind footage that you mentioned earlier. Later on, we have the Klan rally where FLIP's getting initiated. And apparently this is historically accurate that during these initiations, this is part of the, the process that there is a screening of Birth of a Nation. And I started thinking about how propaganda plays into the mentality of people. And you said it extremely well, that the more you're around it, the more you talk about it, even if it's at a level of insignificance, if you're just joking about it, it eventually becomes an idea. It sparks something. And I remember reading the the book Columbine and having that same kind of thought go through my head that you had you had Eric and Dylan, these two guys that no one ever expected to do what they did. But the way that they were influenced individually and together came from subtle ways. It came from some of their upbringing. It came from isolation and how people would talk to them. And the way in which they would talk, be talked to was very minute. It wasn't very major at all. And these two individuals eventually started believing the stuff that was told to them. They started developing new ideas. They started reading things that would support those ideas. And I, I got kind of sick to my stomach thinking about the fact that this is really what's happening in Black Klansmen. That you have, I don't remember her name, but it was uh, the Klan leader's wife, I think. How the things that were coming out of her mouth were what were surprising to me more than anything else. During their first meeting where Flip came into the house and she was passing out hors d'oeuvres or something. And she passed out along with that an article talking about, I think the, the latest student union rally or something like that and how nonchalant she was about wanting to kill because she wanted to be significant. You know, she wanted to be a part of something special because Maybe she was a woman and she wasn't feeling like she was being respected. I don't know. But I think the fact is we have throughout the movie political propaganda that's happening among the characters. But I think personally that Spike Lee is kind of doing that with us through his narrative so that by the end of the movie, that little exclamation point at the end leaves us with something that we didn't expect to leave with when we were going into it. We have this whole movie filled with humor and drama and all this stuff, and then it ends with, here's real stuff. Two years ago, this is what happened. And we're left with that same kind of feeling that, that Collis had, where we're just kind of cold to it. And to me, I think that's a form of propaganda. The question is, what's it provoking us to do? And I wanted to ask you that. Like, watching, that watching the movie and finishing it up with that ending, where did that leave you? the first time around and this time around
1: well the the first time i was upset i didn't like it at all and it significantly impacted my rating and my review of the film because i thought it was way too on the nose way too drastic of a an ending for them to go to and i think Part of that was expectations of, you know, what a normal film should be like, what an arc of a film should have when we get this happy kind of we won solution at the end. And it feels like that's the way the movie should be is you wrap things up. Now, as I've thought on it more and as I've had the second viewing, I understand that that's what Spike is intentionally fighting against here is that it, it's not over because Ron and them catch the racist cop on the force and they're able to knock out one racist bad guy. You know what I mean? Like are they save from one attack? Like the world is not going to change because of that. There are still going to be cross burnings. There are still people that you don't expect supposedly that could be racists and be part of those. Um and So, while I think it's heavy, and I think it's very, very much propaganda, it's hard to argue with anything he's saying, because he is using facts. And I think that the usage of people like Harry Belafonte recounting true stories, like that of the lynching, and then, you know, showing us the footage of Birth of a Nation... And such, I think it gives it validity. And so, I mean, is it propaganda? I don't know. I don't know where the line of using that word comes into play as far as are you trying to convince people of something so that they will act a certain way? Absolutely, he is, but so is every documentary that you will ever watch almost. And we eat them up. <laughs> so I ultimately, I like it. I think I'm okay with it. And it's actually not the Charlottesville footage that bothers me about the ending of this film. It's mm. something else. Well, let's talk about that. What is <laughs> the thing that bothers you? So it's a blink and you miss it moment, to be honest. And and frankly, I didn't know what I was seeing. And I don't think I saw it the first time I watched the film. I don't remember this at all. The second time I watched it, and I, there was this flash of a cross burning. And I mean, I, seriously, it's like... This moment where they're just uh, Patrice and Ron come out of the house, right? And there's a mm-hmm. cross burning going on and it just flashes and it zooms in to somebody in a hood. And then then we cut. And I was like, why are we doing that? For some reason, I was like, I don't know. Why? What's a weird thing to do? Like, why would you zoom in on random KKK members face? So I backed it up. And I was like, oh, OK, are you? are you trying to tell me that's somebody like, are you trying to tell me that's flip? Because I don't think that there's honestly enough evidence to say for sure that, that Adam driver is underneath that hood. It could be, it very well could be. And it really did a number on my feelings about the film, to be honest, because I felt like I understood what spike was probably going for. And I think that he is setting it up to show us that even the person you think is your ally and that you, you know, the the Flip this whole time, right? First of all, I'd never thought about this. His name is Flip, first of all, right off the bat. Let's put that in there, this nominative device of using his name as a meaning. He Is he flipping at the end? There's a couple scenes throughout the movie where he specifically talks about, like, I had to separate – My work for my emotions. This is my J-O-B. I am doing my job. Mm -hmm. So either he is, A, an incredibly good actor and just doing his job, or we are to believe that by being part of this organization for a long period of time, he has come to adopt some of their beliefs. There's a scene When, during his initiation, he's actually the first person that jumps up and screams and and gets all excited about Birth of a Nation. Are we supposed to read that as him acting? Because that's what I always read it as. Of course he's acting. He's trying to play and sell the role. It's his initiation. He should be doing that. But is there another reading where he's bought into this material? I I don't like it at all because he then turns around and saves Ron's life, essentially. comes rest comes rushing to his rescue. And... I think that it is troublesome to take the one good white character in the film who is supposedly going through his own change and his own realizations about anti-Semitism and his own heritage to then turn him into a villain. That's the Spike Lee that I fully believe he would do something like that. And I would, mm-hmm. I'm disappointed if that was the intention.
0: Well maybe we'll find out when the extras come out on the DVD. <laughs> but I, I got that same thing and and I didn't pick up on it until watching it and doing research and seeing that sort of conspiracy theory pop up. I want to watch it again and watch flip the whole time to see if how the movie's edited, if that supports a notion, just for my own entertainment value but I agree I think that if you have an ally in Flip that you've created and his arc does what it does then to have at the end I'm gonna say this I think it's consistent not just with Spike Lee's vision but with the ending itself because if what you say is correct that I think racism is like a hydra where if you try to cut off one arm two or three more grow back. And when we have that scene in the bar where that cop gets what's coming to him and then we follow that up with what could be Flip in a hood followed by the Charlottesville stuff, I think that further goes on to point to what Spike Lee's saying that one battle's not going to make a difference. It, it's going to be an ongoing thing and it continues to be that and we have to continue to fight. It's an incredibly cynical way to view things. It's also a very realistic way to view things. And I think the trouble that I have with Black Klansmen, as much as I enjoy it, is the fact that there's not really an answer. (laughs) Spike Lee has this tendency in the movie to say, here's the problem. Here's why I'm pissed about it. The end. And he makes a great story from it, yep. which is why I want to go and read the memoir, because I'd love to believe that the real guy had something to say. And maybe he doesn't, but I want to hear his voice. I want to hear what he has to say, because when you get your voice from a director who has a history of being a certain way, it's expected even from him, there's going to be some biasness. So,
1: well, I'm, you got to remember the, the memoir is written about an event. The memoir is written about his infiltration of the KKK. It's. I don't think the memoir has anything to do with tying that into how racism exists in the USA today. To me, I, that's the adaptation
0: part. Yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. But I think you. I don't think there's necessarily a reason why he wouldn't say something about the repercussions of that. Like, I'm wondering why in the world would you contact the KKK? Like, where was, was, was your conviction that, that much that you were going to initiate that conversation? Is that what happened? And I get that it's about an event, but surely in the book, he would talk about what this meant long-term, you know, what he wanted to accomplish and where his views came from, like where his convictions were. So I, I think that's what I'm trying to get at is, is more of the truth because this is the issue that we run into with biopics or things based on a true story is that there are gaps that are filled in with creative liberty and that there are things that might get changed for the sake of a narrative. And I don't mind that. again I've never minded that necessarily. I, I'm i just more curious now about the real events and to see where the deviations were and and how it changes the story.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that Spike is trying to give us an answer. And I, and, I, and I know that that's what many people are fine with. They're totally okay with that. That's why they love this film to pieces, is because it's just a depiction. It is an in-your-face statement that says, here it is, I'm pointing it out for you. I am making it painfully obvious, both in narrative form and in fun, engaging, and entertaining way that you can understand. And then here it is at the end in real live footage of Someone like Heather Heyer, who is losing her life because David Duke is still a thing and white power marches are still a thing and anti-Semitism is still a thing. And guess what? Stop putting your head in the sand because here it is. You're right. He doesn't have an answer. I I honestly don't knock him for that because I don't know that it's a filmmaker's job to have an answer. I I mean, I don't have an answer. So, I mean, I I don't know what to say about like – that's one of the things I do enjoy about Green Book, though. Conversely, and that's what people don't like, you know, Green Book tries to have an answer. Green Book tries to say, hey, here's a possibility. Maybe this will move the needle. And I, I kind of, while I, I understand what Spike is going for here, and it doesn't necessarily bother me in the context of this film, you're right. There's not really anything he's saying that will move the needle towards growth other than I guess hoping that by people pulling their head out of the sand, maybe we'll try and be more observant and get the people that we can find out of power in, in a sense. I, that's right. the only thing I can figure out from
0: there. This, this is this is a, a film about awareness for my for my taste. And that's a good thing. And it's done in an entertaining way. And I think if I accept the fact that it is a it is a movie about awareness, I'm fine with that. And I shouldn't expect that. That's the thing is Spike Lee's never been a guy, from my knowledge and the other movies that I've seen of his, which, again, haven't been many, has never been one. When you make a sociopolitical comment, you're going to have an answer to back it up. And it shouldn't be that way. The question is, how will it change me? How will it change an audience? Because I do think that's a valid statement.
1: There is a – I just watched Do the Right Thing for the first time last week. So like you, it was a blind spot for me. It has a very similar ending. It's in a narrative way, right? It doesn't bring in some real footage, but something happens at the end of the movie that is projects the exact same ongoing conversation that people have been having now for like 30 years as to what did it mean when blah blah did blah blah and is, you know, what is Spike trying to say? And there's no answer. Everybody's coming up with their own explanation for what that could have possibly meant what that character might have intended or meant by his actions so it seems to be something that's very common to how he wants to approach these things yeah he wants you to look at yourself
0: well i will look at myself when i watch do the right thing as well (laughs) and i'm looking forward to that well i think it's connecting point time unless you have anything else no I'm i'm
1: ready to connect
0: well connect and lead us off my friend
1: Well, I'm going to do that by announcing that, once again, we have the same connecting point. I I, I, I would normally say, hey, this is really rare, but I feel like it hasn't been really rare lately. So this has become a norm in the last month and a half, but it won't be the norm always. I guarantee that. Anyway, (laughs) right on the heels of Flip and Ron getting their membership card in the mail, which... By the way, I find absolutely redonkulous that this organization called the KKK requires you to have a membership card in order to participate, and, like, you have a waiting period. Like, it is... <laughs> it's legit, I, man. I, I, it it's is legit. it is legit in the dumbest sense of the word. <laughs> like, I, I just... That blew my mind, right? And I've seen the actual card. The card that they show, by the way, is the actual card. I've seen it in Ron Stallworth's interviews. He has it. So that was pretty fascinating. But... So they have that great moment between the two of them where they have this membership card, and they're talking. And this actually begins to lead into a little bit of Flip starting to go on to some self-realization about who he is and where he came from. And I'm going to play the scene, and then we'll talk about it. I'm Jewish, yes, but I wasn't raised to be. It wasn't part of my life. I never... Thought much about being Jewish. Nobody around me was Jewish. You know, I wasn't going to a bunch of bar mitzvahs. I didn't have a bar mitzvah. I was just another white kid. And now I'm in some basement denying it out loud. (laughs) I never thought much about it, now I'm thinking about it all the time. About rituals and heritage is that passing well then i then i have been passing i don't want that oh man so when he says i never thought about it that much now i think about it all the time it's it is incredibly powerful and it is incredibly moving and i because this is my cp because this is a character that i really felt for throughout almost equally in some ways as I did for Ron. That's part of the reason why I have such a visceral reaction to the idea that he might be under that hood at the end. He's wrestling with this throughout the film. And I think that it has been building and building. And And so this scene to me is made so much more earnest when he gets to the point where he's talking about rituals and his Jewish history He even questions his own Jewish Jewish heritage earlier in the film when someone points out to him and they say, well, Flip, you're Jewish, and he goes, am I? And that's when he volunteers to go on the mission in the first place. And I think that through him we see an entire other culture of people that Nazis and the KKK have been trying to eradicate that often gets forgotten about because we talk about people of color and Black Lives Matters all the time. But white supremacy and anti-Semitism kind of go hand in hand. And the crazy thing is that Black Klansmen is probably just as important for those of Jewish descent as it is for people of color. And so watching Flip begin to acknowledge his heritage, where he came from, and confront what that means or doesn't mean, because guess what? It's up to him in the present is very sobering to me. When I watched him have this realization and then go into the KKK world and frequently be forced to deny his heritage, it reminded me so much of the biblical story of Peter denying Christ. And I thought about how easy it is to try and I guess not easy, but how we can try to convince ourselves of things because we think that it's what the world wants to wants us to be. And so it increasingly grows harder and harder for him, just as it did for Peter, where at the beginning of the movie, he he acknowledges that he never even thought about it. And so I think that if this film has the ability to encourage people to embrace who they are and where they come from, whether they're black, white, Jewish, whatever – I think that that's incredible. And it's also a sad reminder that black skin is not the only thing that some people hate. And so it, it was very meaningful for me.
0: I mean, and it was meaningful to me too, which is probably why it's my connecting point as well. And Flip's character arc represents something that I think is a part of each one of us. That when we're challenged by someone or something regarding who we are, even if we don't think it's that important, like his Jewish heritage, it becomes that way. When we're attacked, I have the same reaction when my faith is challenged in the conversations I have and in the things that I read. Uh, Richard Dawkins' God Delusion and Sam Harris' The End of Faith are two books that come to mind that really do challenge why I believe what I believe. And they push me to put on more than just head knowledge behind what I believe. They challenge me along with those relationships to stand convicted about why it's always about why and to come up with then to come up with some intellectual explanation it may include that but the fact is I need to have a why behind my faith behind my beliefs about anything that I believe and flips combo also reminds me that hate infects all kinds of people and causes so much dissension among those groups of people who are different from each other and it, as I mentioned before, it doesn't have to look like a black beret or a white hood. It can take the form of a suit or an officer's uniform. But the thing is, so can love. Love can do the same thing that we have to be incredibly discerning about the people around us and to, I don't want to say expect the best in people, but I almost do because I'd rather, I'd rather like work from that side and get disappointed than to work from a place of fear and have to work forward to try to earn someone's likability. And that's a conscious effort that we have to make. It's a conscious thing that we have to do. It's not something that necessarily comes naturally because I think, I think we're naturally just very cynical people. We're naturally apprehensive about people that look different from us. I mean, you know, I made a comment on our bonus episode about that and how I had to learn from that. And I think that seeing Flip go through this, even with that ambiguous ending, it's a reminder to me that whatever we believe and whatever we believe about who we are, we have to own that completely. So if I'm going to be cynical and think that that was Flip under the hood, he embraced who he believed he was, whether it was because of propaganda, I don't know, but I'm going to go... More of a positive route, and say that wasn't him, and that that Spike Lee just wanted to push into some creepy hood with fire burning, just to show the eyes from you know and the and the fire behind it.
1: Yeah, I, I I like to believe that as well. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. It's a challenging film.
0: It you know. is, and it and it should be, and I think it's worth everyone's time to watch it, and then for fun, rewatch it through the lens of flip (laughs) to see what you might think about that
1: (laughs) very much. I was thinking about our ex-mac in (laughs) a conversation when you said that and how I told you, like, you need to go back and watch this through Caleb's point of view and through Ava's point of view, you can watch it three different ways and it's very different. Um, and that's pretty cool. So I I definitely will be watching this a third time and trying to focus in on flip as well. Well, I wanted to mention Patrick, as we wrap up, you have said something about our bonus content a couple times, And for those that don't follow us on social media, you may not be aware of this, but we did something for the first time ever, and we just kind of decided on a fly, so we didn't announce this in previous episodes. If you go to patreon.com, you can find last week's bonus conversation, and it is available for everyone to listen to. It will not be in this feed, so you will not find it where you normally get this podcast. You have to go to patreon.com to listen to it think you can download it from there. I'm not 100% sure, but I know you can listen to it from their website, from their app. And we have put it out there because we think it's an important conversation. It was very very helpful for both of us. We enjoyed it, we learned a lot from each other, and we wanted to just share it with the world. So, here's your opportunity to go see what some of our bonus content can be like. Um and with that in mind, speaking of Patreon, it is currently March Donor Pick voting time right now. And for March's theme, we're going with Women's History Month. Sounds like a good one. Um, we're doing films by female directors. So the five movies that are up for the vote this month are Lady Bird, Leave No Trace, Zero Dark Thirty, The Babadook, and A League of Their Own. You can visit patreon.com slash feelinfilm. You can become a supporter anytime before March 10th, and you'll be able to vote in this month's poll. If you become a supporter after March 10th, we still love you, and you'll get to vote in April's poll beginning then. But for this one, it will close off on March 10th. So go ahead, come on in. It's for like a buck or two. You can get votes. You can be a part of the Feel and Film Patreon family and help us pick a movie for the end of the month.
0: And next week, we have a new FF Plus coming your way full of spoiler-free reviews for Apollo 11, Triple Frontier, Cradle of Champions, and The Central Park Five. Then, next week's main episode will be on, of course the highly anticipated Captain Marvel. Yes. And we'll have Patrick Willems joining. And you do not want to miss that. Aaron, thanks so much for a great conversation. And we'll talk to you
1: then. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you.